This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone, Patrick McEnroe here, Holding Court, and uh, I am very happy to welcome in a longtime friend of mine, one of the great writers of some of the greatest songs of all time. He and his wife, <laughs> Marilyn Bergman, the one and only Alan Bergman, joining me from his house in California. How are you, young man? I'm pretty good. <laughs> young, I don't know about, but <laughs> well, I, I'm 94, you know. I, I know you're 94, and <laughs> you've, been, you've been writing songs for, what, probably about yeah, 70 years? Time. Over Just 70 I'm years. A- Oh, oh, yeah. No, I started writing when I was a kid, 15, 16, you know, years old. And <laughs> you and your wife have won numerous Oscars, have written songs in the 60s through, till, yeah. through recently uh, that have received. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're still and, writing. And who hasn't sung your songs? I mean, Streisand, Sinatra, Johnny Mercer, even someone named Melissa Errico. That's my wife. Oh, absolutely. And beautifully, may I add. And I had the pleasure of meeting you through her, uh, Alan and, and Marilyn, about 20-some years ago because uh, you <laughs> were great right. collaborators with Michel Legrand, the great French composer yeah. who unfortunately passed away over a year ago. And my wife uh, started his show on Broadway. And anyway, then they be- we became friends with you, which has been a a treat for me. But what I really want to hear from you, because I know we could, you could talk about music all day. I I want (laughs) to, well, I must, I just (laughs) want to interrupt you for one minute. I met Michelle Legrand, uh, on a tennis court, Gene Kelly, and we were playing in a doubles match. And he said, I want to introduce you to a a great composer. I think you and Marilyn, and he could write wonderful songs together. And, and it was on a tennis court. <laughs> and lo and behold, you did it. Papa, Can You Hear Me? Of course, a great song from Yentl, which Streisand yeah. made so famous. <laughs> Windmills of Your Mind. Now, I actually uh, yeah. I got on the court, uh, Alan, with Michelle Legrand, too, when he was doing the record with Melissa at his, uh, uh, at his place in Spain. And, and let me tell you something. He was a pretty good tennis player, and you, he had yeah, a, he was, and he had a lot of flair, which of course was not unusual, knowing his personality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you, yeah, he, you, you, I was able to play with out in California because you've 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 always been interested in tennis, and yeah. I want to hear the story, Alan. As a young kid, you grew up uh, in Brooklyn in the '30s and '40s right. of how you got into tennis. Well. When I, I was a pretty good ping pong player, and uh, I said to my father, I'd like to learn how to play tennis. I was about 12 years old. And uh, so we went to the um, to Presswick Park, uh, the big park in Brooklyn. They had two courts there. They were clay courts, and they were <laughs> not very well taken care of. There were weeds growing up, and they had the wooden rackets that you could rent uh, and the the gut on the racket looked like shoelaces. It was probably it was probably, <laughs> probably frayed, right? Like all frayed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, my father said, "I don't know." We got on the court, and it was it was the court was terrible, and the balls were old, and so. So he said, well, "I don't think this will work." Right. I said, "I know what I'm going to do." He said, "What?" I said, "Well, in in a month or so." The uh, the national singles were being played 
as they were every September in uh, Forest Hills at the Forest Hills Country Club. And what, which is right, which has now become the the U.S. Open, but in those days it was called yes. the U.S. National Championship. It was for amateurs, right? It was at the West Side Tennis Club in Queens. West Side Tennis Club, right? right. So I took. Uh, <laughs> I said I, maybe I could learn. I get a job as a ball boy. So I took a bus and a train and, and got out to Long Island. Where wait, you had to, wait, so, so you, you got, you, you, uh, by yourself, you got on the bus, the train, yeah. et cetera, to go yeah, from well, Brooklyn was, to Queens. Exactly. And when I got there, I asked the people, where who's the person who hires the ball boys? And they directed me to this man. And he... Uh, he said to me, what's your name? And I said, Alan Bergman. He said, go home. Wow. Just like that. Wow. And I said, what do you mean? I said, do you mean because I'm Jewish you won't hire me? And he looked at me, didn't know what to do because he was confronted with that. And I said, look, uh, if you don't hire me, we're going to go to the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. That was a big paper. That was the newspaper and, uh, back then. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, I'll tell him that you won't hire me. He said, oh, let me think about it. Come back tomorrow. I said, I can't do that. I can't afford it. Hmm. Uh, I I sold uh, Coca-Cola bottles to, to get enough coffee. Just to, <laughs> and, make, just, uh, to, just to make it to the club that day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he kicked dirt. I can still see his face. And he said, okay. And that was 1938. So you were yeah, was, you were probably was 12 going years old. On 12 years, I was 12 years old. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> when, you, when he said, uh, when you told him your name, and you obviously yeah. knew right away that it was because you were Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, had, was that something that had happened in in other parts of life, or did that? Oh yeah. So well, it didn't surprise you. Know, you. Was, no, it didn't surprise me. I I I knew it had happened before. I don't remember when. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of anti-Semitism in those days, you know. And uh, but anyway, I I did it for two years. Right. Uh, first year, you know, uh, Don Budge won. Wow. Who's your, who? By the way, was the only other player other than Rod Laver as a man to win the Grand Slam. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He yeah, he was a lovely man. I got to know him later. We got to be friends because he loved music. He used to. Uh, he played drums, and he used to sit in with Tommy Dorsey when he got a chance. You're kidding me. Really? No, he played, yeah. Was, he, he loved music. Was he Was he a decent drummer? I don't know. <laughs> Better tennis player. It's like my brother. But, you know, he, he, but my, Tommy Dorsey was very, very strict, so he must have been pretty good. Yeah, Tommy Dorsey uh -huh. ran a tight chip, as, as from what I can, oh, what yeah. I can tell. Yeah. So, so that started, so you were able, through being a ball kid at the U.S. Championships, to get, were you able to get a racket, or how did that lead into Well, here's playing? what happened with that. They found some of the young players, and they were mostly college players, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, in those days, they they heard from the other kids that I was a wonderful ping pong player, and they invited me in to play ping pong with them. And uh, and then they would uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a player from Northwestern that I remember. I uh, said, uh, "You play tennis?" I said, "No, I don't have a racket or anything, but I'd love to learn." He said, "Okay, let's go." And, you know, all the courts were grass courts. That's right. 
back in those and, days. And yeah. uh, so he gave me a racket and uh, taught me how to play. <laughs> That's wow. how I learned. And then you 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 just kept playing because I remember playing with you about twenty some years ago out in California. Yeah, we played. And you you basically told me you would play like every day. Yeah, yeah, I did in those days. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm I played keep... every day. Every day, yeah. We had a a group of about twelve or fourteen guys who who played, uh, you know, switched off, and we had a doubles game Monday through Friday. The court that we used, uh, the people had grandchildren that didn't want us to be there on the weekend. So you could so only we, so you we, only played during the week. During the week, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> and how do you? Is it? It was was tennis just something that because you were good at ping pong and it was just something to do, or did you find over the years, as obviously you became such a successful songwriter, that it was did, that that it was just a way to get some exercise, or did you find something else about yeah. it that intrigued no, you? I love I love tennis and the camaraderie. The- the fellows that I was playing with, wonderful people, and we had a great time. I still see them, you know. They, uh, and we take walks together now. <laughs> you're, you're still but, going. Uh, Listen, when I come back to California, okay, when this whole crazy uh, pandemic passes, yeah. I'm getting you back out on that court. Uh, okay? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I'll try. And, anyway, uh, I, I just love the game. And then I, you know, I went to uh, uh, Forest Hills every year, uh, and then uh, the, you know, then it became Flushing Meadow. Right, and then I know. I mean, you moved to California back, you know, way back when to, to pursue yeah. your your music career. So I know you 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 went to college at UC. Uh, or didn't you go to UCLA? No, well, okay. it's graduate school, graduate but I school. went to I went to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, see, and played on the team the year after Vic Spacious was the number one player at Carolina. Wow, you played on the team at uh, for no, but he no uh, no he had left. He had left, but you played on the team at Carolina on the tennis team. Yeah, oh, so you yeah. were a pretty darn good player then, playing well, on the college team. <laughs> But but Marilyn, your wife, never got really into tennis, huh? Well, she started to play a little bit, and then she said, "Nah, it's not for me." <laughs> and and, uh, and and when you when you look back at uh, some of the great players that you like to watch, you know, obviously you saw the Don Budge and so on at Forest Hills. Who who did you who did you like seeing uh, over the years to play? Oh, yes, all the well, you know, there were a lot of players in those days from uh, Australia. Right. M.O. M.O. and uh, Lou Hode. Did you ever see Lou Hode play? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A wonderful player. uh, John Newcomb. Right. uh, The Rocket, Rod Laver. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a chance to play with some of them. You know, there was a, a, a kind of a circuit of celebrity tennis players. Yeah, it used to be pretty popular back like in the 70s, the six, in the in yeah. 70s and 80s. Yes, I remember that. Vegas, they used to have a big t- pro celebrity. It was Alan King, I yeah, believe, used to I, host that tournament in, in in Las Vegas. Yes, Alan King. And uh, I played that with Bob L- uh, Lutz twice, twice. Uh, in two years we played together. And we were, 
got to the finals in one year. He was one of the great doubles players. Maybe he played with Stan Smith. Smith and Lutz were one of the That's great right. All-American. And a, love, and a lovely man. Yeah, Lovely right. man. Now, but I got a chance. There was one one tournament I'll tell you about. We were in Texas right. playing. And uh, Don Budge was there. Uh, he wasn't playing, but he was there. Uh, it was, uh, Rod Lever had a camp or some place down there mm-hmm. uh, where, where he taught. And uh, the way you, there were a lot of a lot of celebrities, Wayne Rogers and people like that. A lot of great singers, uh, mostly too. Mostly actors. Yeah. Actors, yeah. Yeah. Mo- yeah. And uh, you picked, how you got your partner is they put the pros names uh, on tennis balls in a bag. You reached in and picked the bag. And I said to Marilyn, I said, oh, if I get Pancho Gonzalez, it'll be such a thrill. <laughs> right. So I pick out the ball and it's Pancho Gonzalez. Oh, my goodness. And, wow. And, and so we played. And uh, I, as we started to warm up, I said, I'm, I'm a writer, not an actor. I won't play to the audience, mm-hmm. and I won't try to beat the pro down the line. And he looked at me, and uh, and Don Budget said, "Be careful, he's very mean." Right. He had a, yeah. He had a personality, didn't he, old Poncho? Yeah. 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 So now we get on the court and we start playing, and Wayne Rogers was playing with Gardner Malloy. Sure. Oh, who was a terrific doubles player. And uh, and uh, Pancho Gonzalez says to me after the first after he served uh, Wayne Rogers served to me once that's all he had to do was serve to me once and he said Garden you can go down the line Gardner Malloy is Gardner's over too far to his right mm-hmm. so I said you sure he said yeah <laughs> right so. Uh, Wayne Rogers served to my four, and I got down the line, and we win the point. And uh, and and the second time, he was the third time he was going to serve to me. Punch does do the same thing. He's over too far. Right. And uh, we, well, to make a long story short, we won the tournament, and and uh, and Pancho won the singles tournament too, and he was playing against. Uh, Ammo was there, Frank Sedgman. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Fred Stolle. Yeah. They were, I remember them. They were all playing in this tournament. It's a, uh, it's a great thing about uh, tennis and music and, uh, you know, the, the connection that's existed for over the years of uh, great musicians, great writers like you in the tennis world. So that's always been something uh, – it's been awesome to be part of the tennis community. Now, you, it's funny you mentioned Gardner Malloy because he, you sort of remind me of him a little bit. Tall, good-looking dude. And uh, Gardner <laughs> Malloy, I remember going down to Miami for the tournament over the years, every year. And uh, Gardner was still playing competitive tennis into his 80s, I think even into his 90s. And he was, really? he, he reminds me of you. Tall, always in great shape. Great personality, smart as a whip, and he continued to play tennis. I'm going to say until his early to mid 90s. So, Alan, we're going to get you wow. back out there when I get back out to California. <laughs> yeah, he used to teach down there, didn't yes. he? In a hotel. 
Yeah. And he taught at a place called, um, I remember going over to Fisher Island, which is sort of kind of an exclusive island. You take a little a ferry to get over there. And I used, uh-huh. I used to go over there and practice sometimes with Andre Agassi because he used to rent a place there. And Jim Currier, the, you know, uh-huh. the, the top guys, they'd always get to stay over there in the fancy place. And, you know, the regular run-of-the-mill guys like me, you know, we'd have to stay in, oh, uh, in downtown Miami somewhere. But, you know, we'd get to go over there and practice. So I remember going over there and seeing Gardner He'd be dressed to the nines. He'd be looking great, mid-'80s, <laughs> and he'd be out there practicing Every single day. And just like you, continuing to write your songs when I first called you and asked you about, would you, would you tell me that story on my podcast about uh, how you got into tennis? Because it, it gave me the chills listening to you tell that story. And you, said, <laughs> and you said to me, Patrick, I'm still writing. I'm still writing songs. And uh, yeah. it is amazing. And I know you wrote one for my wife recently that she put on a new, a new song that she worked on right at the end, yeah. of, end of Michelle's life as well. Yeah. It was the last song, the yeah. last song that Michelle wrote. Yeah. Ab- but, absolutely amazing. I mean, w- when you think about your career and all the songs that you've written, all the classics, all the ones, I mean, w- uh, which give me, give me a couple that stand out. I mean, I know that's gotta be hard. But give me a couple. I mean, well, you know, how do you keep the well, music playing, uh, the windmills of your mind, Papa, can yeah. you hear me? You know, what, what would it be? Yeah, well, all those, that's true. How do you, how do you keep the music playing? Yeah. Uh, what way, are you doing the rest the, of your life? The way he makes me feel. Yeah, that, that's from Yento, yeah. yeah. How, and, in, uh, how in the world do you come up with all these songs? <laughs> I mean, tell me a little about the tell me a little bit about the process that you and Marilyn went through uh, over the years. Well, I I had a great uh, mentor, one of the great lyricists of all time, Johnny Mercer, and he always told me that you have to you should write to the melody, and uh, we feel uh, still feel that the words are on the tips of those notes. And we have to find them. Mm-hmm. That was so great about writing with Michelle because he wrote all those melodies first. Windows and what are you doing the rest of your life? And then he would send it to you. Um, he would send you the melody and then you would, yeah. you would create the lyrics, right? Exactly. And in some cases, though, you know, there were reasons for the songs. For instance, Windmills was written for a, a movie, the Thomas Crown Affair. Right. Where, where the uh, hero, uh, the Steve McQueen character, was flying a glider. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was very anxious, very mm-hmm. anxious, because he, was, he had just masterminded the robbery of a bank. And it was successful. He didn't participate. He just planned it. It was very successful, and he was flying this glider, he did very anxious because he didn't know what he was going to do with the money. Right. One, so, one, one, so of the, the, one of the great scenes ever in any movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the director, Norman Jewison, wonderful director, said to us, I want you to write me a song that underlines the anxiety the character was feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, anxiety is a circular emotion. When you try to go to sleep and you can't turn your brain off, and it, that's, that's anxiety. So all the images in that song are circular images. 
round like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, never ending or beginning on an ever-spinning wheel. It's all circular. Like a snowbird uh, on a mountain, like a carnival balloon, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I got, exactly. I got, I got all your songs, Alan, in my head for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I still remember I was there at Flushing Meadow when you played. Uh, uh, Don't say Jimmy uh, Connors. Jimmy Connors. You, yeah. you know, this I was, was there, Alan. This was going so well. This podcast <laughs> until you had to bring that up. <laughs> no, I didn't mean. To, but I, I was there, and I was, and we were rooting for you. you so you know, my, you know, what's funny is I, I've run into people over the years. You know, after I, I blew that huge lead against Jimmy Connors, it was in the first round. It was a night match, and then that was when he was he was thirty nine and went on that great run to get to the semifinals. Yeah. But uh, you know how many people have come up to me over the years, like you just said, Alan said. You know, we were there, and we were rooting for you. Yeah. I'm like, give me a brick. Nobody in that stadium, even me. I think even my girlfriend at the time, who wasn't Melissa, by the way, who's now my wife, I'm not even sure she was rooting for me by the end of that match. No, we were rooting for you. Well, you're, was, you're, you know, you're a good man. And you, want, you know what? I, uh, obviously, I have a place in my heart for you and Marilyn and for, and for Michelle Legrand and what all you guys have done for my wife, Melissa, and her singing. But I have to tell you, the song, the song that I listened to, that always gets me, and maybe even more so in times like these that we're all going through, is that the, the, the Streisand classic, The Way We Were. Can you just yeah. tell me a little bit, because that uh, always puts me in this frame of mind to just think about my my own life, the the world around us. So, can you just give me a little bit of insight sure. into how that song came to be? Absolutely. Uh, we uh, we had one, you know, the Academy Award a couple of times, and. and she uh, uh, she wanted us to write it. The producer and the director called us and said, we'd like you to write this. With, and it was Marvin Hamish who wrote the music, right. which is second movie mm -hmm. that he was uh, scoring. So <laughs> we wrote the song and we went to play it for Barbara and uh, Sidney Pollack, the director. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we uh, it was played it for her at her house, and they 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 loved it. She said that's wonderful, uh, and Sidney Pollack was a wonderful director and a terrific. Became one of our closest friends. Uh, he said, "Perfect, that's what we want." And as we leaving them, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we get through the, her house. And go out the door. I said to, I, I said to Marvin, let's write a couple of more songs called the way we were. And he said, what? They love this song. I said, yeah, but she's not going to record it for four, two, two or three months because they were still shooting the picture. Right. Uh, we could write, you know, a couple more songs called the way we were and see what happened. He said, okay. 
So he wrote us another melody, mm-hmm. and we wrote another song called The Way We Were. Uh, different lyric except the same title, because mm-hmm. it was a wonderful title. And uh, <laughs> we played it for Barbara and Sydney. They said, oh, we love it. So I said, and they knew this. We said, the only way we're going to find out if it works is if you play the songs against the images where they where the song is going to be used. And uh, if it works... The, the, the images in the are, film, you mean? The images in the film. Yeah, right. the images are... It right. makes the fourth entity, the lyrics, mm-hmm. the image, and the music. Right. They make another entity. And you can tell whether it works or not. Right. And we laid... Barbara made a little with a piano, with Marvin playing piano, she made two versions. One, the way we were that everybody knows, mm-hmm. and uh, the first one, and the second one. And the second one didn't work at all, huh. because it was a little too cerebral uh, lyric. didn't work now. So, but they loved it. Barbara recorded it later. And called it the way we weren't. <laughs> so, it, she, so it it's did. It's on actually, one of her albums. Oh, I'm going to look it's that a, up. I'm, I'm yeah, it's on one of her albums. Uh, I'm like uh, the way we weren't. Okay, I'm looking that it's, up. It's good. Yeah, uh, I don't remember which album it's in, but uh, you can find that. Uh, but the way, we, yeah, uh, that really worked. And her manager knew. Uh, Marty Ehrlichman, wonderful fella, he heard it the, the, the first time we played it for Barbara and, and Sydney, and he said, it's going to be the number one song, July, so whatever. And it was, it became number one. He, he knew. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, Alan, that is just some, some great <laughs> stuff. I so appreciate you uh, doing this with me. I told you we'd keep oh, it to 20. Please. 25 minutes and listen you give marilyn a big hug for us in the mackinac household and with when this whole uh pandemic passes which we all hope will be soon i'll be getting on a plane and i'll be getting you out on the tennis courts out in california okay give one of that to melissa and your children all my best alan take care of yourself great alan bergman everyone take care take care Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.